Hi. Well, good to see you guys. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try my best not to take a super long time because it's Sunday, and I guess y'all have plans. I don't know your life. It's probably no real plans. It's to go home and sleep. Um, so today we're just gonna talk, and uh, actually, let's open up in prayer. Close your eyes, bow your heads. God, I thank you for today, Father. I thank you that uh, you are ministering to our hearts today, God, that you have brought each and every person here, Father, to receive, God. I thank you that every word that comes out of my mouth is a word from you, God. I thank you that you are opening our hearts. I thank you that you are changing us even right now, God, that you are just allowing us to feel your Holy Spirit, God, to feel uh, conviction, to feel uh, righteousness and judgment, Father. I thank you that you are ministering to us and that each and every one of us are going to leave different than the way we came today. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said... Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. All right. So today, I know I'll get like the fun, not fun topic. I like the topic, but it's like, you know, it's a little bit of a serious topic, guys. So hope you're ready. Y'all ready? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. All right. Uh, so the title of my message is Quit Playing. Oh, all the, all the way. Quit Playing all the way. All the way is not part of it. Quit Playing. Y'all say Quit Playing. Youth, look over to your neighbors. They quit playing. Oh, Miss Delaney, you're part of the youth. You're sitting over there. She's like, that's not me. <laughs> All right, quit playing. So today we're just going to talk for a few minutes. Pastor Bray version of a few minutes. Uh, about compromise. Ooh, told you. Told you it's a serious message. But we're going to try to make it as fun as possible. Um, but we're going to talk about compromise. Y'all know what compromise is, right? Some of y'all are like, why did I come to church this morning? <laughs> I knew I should have slept in. It's okay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, compromise is, everyone knows it, it's accepting lower standards. And y'all know what compromise is. It just means you know what you should be doing, you're not doing it. Or there's that little line. Y'all know that line. And compromise is getting as close to that line as possible. Flirting with that line, hanging right by the edge. It's getting as close as possible to sin. That's compromise. Compromise is I said I wasn't going to do that, but, you know, let me just scooch a little bit further. And uh, I want to tell this story of a guy in the Bible who's, like, the perfect example of, like, what not to do. How many of y'all watched that movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole, if you ever watched it, the whole concept is, like, this is what not to do. This is the same way with the story of a young strapping man named Samson. Y'all heard of Samson? Okay, Samson is the perfect example of what not to do, okay? Um, so I'm going to try to tell this story. I'm not going to read it straight out because it's like four chapters and, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't want y'all falling asleep. So Samson is a guy, basically his mom had been praying for a child. She wasn't able to have a child. And finally an angel came to her and was like, all right, Israel's out of control. It's time for us to like raise up somebody to rescue Israel from the Philistines, okay? I know we all know the Philistines, David, Goliath. Gotcha. All right, I don't need to tell you the whole Bible. We ain't got time for that. Um, so Samson, basically his mom was like praying. The angel comes and is like, all right, you're going to have a son. Your son is going to be dedicated to me. Your son is going to be dedicated. They called him a Nazarite. And basically a Nazarite was somebody, if you read like the historical whatever, a Nazarite was somebody that was born to be set apart for God. They either went through, like, like periods of time where they were, like, Nazarites or they were, like, Nazarites their whole life. But basically they were, like, the extreme radicals that were, like, 
we are 100% sold out for Jesus kind of people. And so the Nazarites, they weren't supposed to have their hair cut. That was like a big rule. So they were like running around with long hair. Hey, maybe I'm one. Uh, they weren't supposed to be anywhere near grapes, wine. They were like, you can't eat grapes, you can't eat raisins. I know that doesn't seem like a, a big hard thing not to eat raisins, but you can't eat grapes, raisins, wine. They were like, you're setting yourself apart from anything sweet. You just, you don't even do that, which is weird, but whatever. And then the other thing that Nazarites were not allowed to do, they weren't allowed to touch any kind of dead body, dead carcass, dead animal, nothing. It was just, you just didn't do it. So those were kind of like the rules. So the mom gets given those rules by the angel, like he's going to be set aside as a Nazarite to rescue Israel from the Philistines, okay? So <laughs> right after that, in the next chapter, it's like, now Samson is here. And it said, all, you know, soon, when he was young, but the Holy Spirit started like moving on him. And so the interesting thing about Samson, though, is as you read through, you realize he had this awesome call in his life, but sadly he chose to live a life of compromise instead of to be obedient to God. He chose to live in compromise instead of to be holy and to be set apart like he was born for. And um, so anyways, going through this little story, Samson basically, it's like you don't get to know his whole life. You just get like four quick little snapshots, but it's enough to kind of get the feel of like what is going on in his life. So the first thing you end up reading about Samson is they said he's like walking to this town and it said he was hanging out near a vineyard, which if you read that, if you're not supposed to be like eating grapes and stuff, then why the heck are you hanging out near a vineyard? You know what I'm saying? But that's that little bit. It's like the first time you kind of notice he's like getting a little compromised, like, I know I'm not supposed to eat the cookie. I'm just going to kind of smell it and, you know, just take a look at it. Like he's hanging out near a vineyard. So you're like, dude, what are you doing, man? So he's hanging out near this vineyard and it said when he was hanging out by the vineyard, he got attacked by a lion. That's just what happens, too. And you'd be like, you know, you're hanging out near that cookie. All of a sudden, it's in your mouth. You don't even know what happened. And so he's hanging out near the vineyard. He's already kind of getting a little close to that line. Like, I know I shouldn't really be doing this, but, you know, I'm just hanging out by it. It's a beautiful scenery. And he gets attacked by this lion. And if you read the scripture, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He, like, rips this lion and, like, it kills it or whatever. And it was like, ooh, this glorious moment, you know. And so you kind of see this is the first moment that he was like, get a little close to the line. And God was like, all right, I got your back. You got close to the line. The enemy attacked you. And like, I had your back that time. Y'all ever had that moment? Y'all knew y'all shouldn't be doing something. And then like, something bad happened. And like, God showed up. And you're like, oh, thank the Lord. Like, if, that, if he wouldn't have showed up, man. Like, oh, yikes. So that's kind of his first little moment. And then you see, as you read along, he ends up going back. And he was like, let me go see what's going on with that dead lion, you know. So once again, he's going back by the vineyard where he's not even supposed to be hanging out. Then he goes to the dead body, which y'all know he ain't even supposed to be touching. He goes back to the dead body of the lion. And, you know, I guess to like maybe feel good about himself, like, I am awesome. I killed that thing. And so he sees, like, all this honey in the lion, which this part is so gross, but whatever, you know, old times. So he ends up scooping honey out of the lion's body. There's, like, bees and stuff. He, like, scoops the honey out and eats it. I guess he was desperate. I don't know his life. But he ends up, like, bringing some to his family, too. So you can see in this moment, he's once again, now he's not just getting close to the line. He just crossed the line. He's not supposed to touch the dead body. But now he's eating out of it. You know, that's like a whole different version of crossing the line, you know. Like, hmm, that doesn't sound appealing at all. But whatever. So he's now, once again, crossing a line that he wasn't supposed to cross. And so you see, as you read on, I'm not going to tell you the whole story of Samson. Because that's why you have Bibles or apps on your phone. Uh, but eventually, as you read through, he ends up having this moment where 
he ends up really ticking off the Philistines, and the Israelites come over, and they're like, we got to tie you up and, like, deliver you to them because now they're mad at us, and, you know, we just got to, like, pass you over to them. So he's all tied up. They give him to the Philistines, and their Philistines are all like, woohoo, we got Samson. And, uh, and so it said in that moment, when he's all tied up, it said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's a good moment, right? Y'all know that moment. God just shows up. You're like, oh, yes, Lord. So the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and then instead of just killing these guys, he grabs the jawbone of a donkey, another dead body. He gets that and kills a bunch of people. So most people, it's like, oh, that's a cool story. You know, he killed like a thousand people. It's awesome. But if you read it, he's once again doing something he wasn't supposed to do. He broke free, and it's like he had to, instead of just doing what God told him to do, he was like, let me just get this dead donkey bone and, like, kill all these people. And, uh, <coughs> and it, was, it, it adds insult to injury when you read the next part. I will read this part. It says, with, this is like him talking about himself. He's like, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Already, not only is he, like, really kind of getting on everybody's nerves because it's like, you just keep doing what everybody keeps telling you not to do. Then he's, like, talking about himself. He's like, I am awesome. I killed a thousand people with a jawbone. What up? And then it said he finished the, the scripture, which I thought was funny. It said when he finished his boasting, so even the scripture is like, he's just talking back. He's just all about himself at this point. When he finished boasting, he threw away the jawbone. I guess he decided to put the carcass down. And it said, this is like, I thought as a parent, I'm not a parent yet, but I know I've aggravated my mom enough that I can relate to how aggravating this quote is. It says, Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, you have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. I don't know what it's saying, but to me it's already a little aggravating. Like He's like, you've accomplished this victory because of how awesome I am, Lord. He might not be saying it like that, but to me that's kind of how I was reading it. Like, you're so aggravating. He's like, I'm awesome. Then he finished and said, must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? How aggravating is that? Any moms know that aggravating feeling where instead of them saying, like, hey, I'm thirsty, like, am I just going to die of thirst here? You know, and it's like, he's just being that guy where you're like, dude, you just did something awesome. You're crediting yourself, and now you're like, God, now you're going to let me just die? I'm, I'm thirsty here. Instead of even asking, y'all know those people that don't ask. I love my nephew Noah. He's like the king of that. Like, he won't actually ask for something. He'll be like, oh, that looks really good. You know, or like, oh, I'm so hungry. And you're like, okay, I see that you see my bag of chips here. But it's, instead of asking, it's like, oh, I'm just so hungry, man. I haven't eaten all day. And you're like, just ask for the doggone chips. You know what I mean? Like, they're right here. So you see he's kind of being like a little annoying too. Like, God, I'm thirsty. So God ends up like, all right, settle down. And he like makes this water come out of something. Anyways, it was kind of cool. So, moving on with Samson's little life, the next thing you read about Samson is he's going back to some other town he's probably not even supposed to be in, and he spends the night with the prostitute. Not necessarily something a man of God should be doing, right? The guy who's, like, being raised up to, like, save Israel from the Philistines, he's, like, hanging out with the prostitute. And so it said when he, as he's sleeping with the prostitute, it said the Philistines were like, oh, we heard Samson was here. I don't know how a word like that gets around, but I guess it was a small town. They all knew what was going on with the prostitute. And so they were like, oh, we know he's here, so we're going to, like, lock these big gates. And, like, the gates of the town at that time it weren't, like, little tiny gates. They are like, these big old giant things. And so they locked the gates, and they're like, all right, we're going to lock him in. So in the morning we're just going to, like, kill him. It's going to be awesome. And so he ends up, like, at midnight, they said he decided not to stay the night. We won't even get into that because we got some kids in the room. But he ends up like, all right, I'm going to, like, roll out now. So he goes to leave, and the gates are locked. 
And, of course, it's another moment God shows up. Y'all know he did not deserve for God to show up. At that moment, you're like, he deserves to be killed by them. He's just hanging out with the prostitute. So he ends up, God, like, shows up again. He, like, takes these giant gates and just, like, rips them off and is like, what up? I'm out. So <laughs> then you get to, like, the, you know, beginning of the end kind of moment for him because the next thing you read about him is he traveled. It said he traveled to the valley of Sorek. I don't know how to say it. I'm assuming it's Sorek. But it said the word Sorek means choice vine. Once again, he's hanging out by the vineyard. Now, it's not saying whether or not he's, like, drinking wine or eating grapes. But, you know, after this many times hanging out by the vineyard, he's got to have a reason to be hanging out there, you know. Just my own little take on it. But it said he was traveling to the vineyard, to the valley of the choice vine. He's hanging out near the vineyard, in the vineyard, or wherever. And it said that's where he meets Delilah. Hello? Y'all know how that works? When you keep crossing that line over and over again, you keep like, God keeps showing up. But in this moment, y'all, I think most people know how this story ends with Delilah. And at this moment, he's now hanging out where he's not supposed to be again. He's doing something he's not supposed to do again. And the enemy was like, ooh, I got a plan for this guy. <laughs> and the enemy, of course, is like, look at this beautiful woman. Because, of course, if you read the whole story of Samson, he's got a little lady problem, which you can tell by the prostitute situation. But he's got a lady issue. He's always just like, oh, my gosh. And um, so, anyways, he's in this moment, and I thought it was so interesting. So I was like, this is exactly how the enemy works. It's the enemy works this way. You think you can keep doing that same stupid thing, and it's going to be all right. I'm just, I just did it before, and I, I, I was okay. I did the same stupid thing, and I was okay. Like last time, I was okay the time before that. Like nothing bad happened. But the enemy knows exactly what's going on, and the enemy had that plan for Samson. Like, oh, I know he's going to hang by this vineyard because he always comes and hangs by the vineyard. And the enemy made sure that he set up a trap. And, of course, that's where he meets Delilah, and he's like, I love her. I must marry her. Once again, I mean, I don't get it. I guess it's love at first sight. Not really. It's not love. But anyways, <laughs> and so I thought it was interesting. I was reading up about Samson, and somebody said this. I'm not going to take credit for it, but it was so good. It said, only when Samson reached the limit of his physical ability did he call upon the Lord for help. Y'all hear that? Only when he reached the limit of his physical ability did he call on God. How many of y'all have ever been there before? Y'all ain't got to admit it. I've been there before. That sometimes you like to handle everything by yourself, right? You know, like, I got my stuff. I got it. I got it. I got it. But a lot of times when you don't got it, you're like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. And God's like, that's because you've been doing your own thing. And that's what Samson kept doing over and over. Instead of talking to God, instead of praying, I find it interesting. That you don't see them talking about Samson praying once until the end of the story. So in case you all know the story, like, she's lying. But <laughs> you don't hear throughout this whole moment all these problems. You don't see them like, and Samson started praying to God. And Samson went to be alone with God. Samson was praying and he was fasting. You don't see any of that. He's all just like walking around, sleeping with prostitutes and like, God, show up, man. And a lot of times we can be that same way. We keep doing what we want to do. We keep doing our thing our way and just expecting God to show up on it. God, just show up, bless my thing, bless my thing. But then in a moment when it's like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> like, I'm upside down. I'm underwater. That's when we start being like, God, please help us. And uh, anyways, I think it's so interesting. Samson, he keeps flirting with that compromise. He keeps compromising. He keeps flirting with that sin. And you see that God keeps giving him grace, right? You see, like, he didn't deserve it. Every one of those times the Holy Spirit came on him, it's like, oh, he didn't deserve it. He was hanging out by a vineyard. He deserved to get eaten by that lion, you know? But God kept showing up over and over again. 
And we, as uh, Christians, can do the same thing so many times. We keep flirting with that line. We keep compromising. We keep getting in sin and thinking, like, it's going to be all right. God's going to keep showing up for me. <laughs> and, um, you know, the Bible, the Bible talks about what our standards should be. You know, he talks about what kind of standards we need to raise in our house, what, what things are considered sins, what things are considered weights and compromises. And I'm just going to read a couple of them just so that if you're like, what is she talking about? Is this applied to me? I'm going to read this list and maybe it'll apply to you. I don't know. If not, then maybe it's for your neighbor. Um, it, the Bible says these things are sin and compromise. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, cursing, lying. So far, some of y'all are feeling pretty good. You're right. Check, check, check. Those aren't me. I'm doing pretty awesome. And then it goes on to say boasting, arrogance, pride, disobedience, rebellion, bitterness, unforgiveness, uh, being critical, negative, gossiping, fear, anxiety, stress. You're, you know, you're not feeling as good about yourself right about now, I don't think. And then the last one, it says idols. And you're like, oh, I don't have any idols. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't have like a Buddha in my house or whatever. But it says idols are anything that capture your affection, your attention, and your passion from God. He just like made it a big old broad, like in case you thought you were good, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> because if anything is taking away your affection or your attention or your passion from God, it's called an idol. It might, even if it's your family, a lot of people are like, family first, man. Like, family's not first, God's first. I know we like to say family first. That's not how God intended it. God is supposed to be first. And so if you're putting your family first, they just became an idol. Now you're in sin. It's not like, oh, I'm just being a good person. Like, no, God's supposed to be first. And uh, a lot of times we see those and we can kind of like accept, like, well, I don't do the big things. But, you know, there is a little compromise with the small ones. You know, I am constantly stressed. I'm constantly, you know, like Pastor Paul was talking about forgiveness the other day at the encounter. And uh, he was like, unforgiveness is a sin. It is what it is. Like, you can have some kind of valid reason for why you're still mad at that person. But it's still a sin. And so sometimes we like to think, like, I don't get drunk, and I'm not in sexual morality, and, like, I don't curse, and, like, I listen to worship music. But if you're still struggling with all these other things, if you're struggling with pride, with disobedience, God keeps telling you to do something, and you're like, I ain't doing that, that's sin. If you're in constant fear and you're in stress, we like to think that that's just normal humanity, you know, like, we're just stressed all the time. That's just what we do. But God's like, no, no, I said don't be stressed. So when you're being stressed, you're compromising because I told you I got it. But you're all stressed and fearful. And, uh, you know, like I said, you can't forgive that person. Y'all know it's, that's one of the hardest things is to forgive somebody, especially when they don't deserve it, right? Like, especially when they don't apologize. You're like, well, I'll forgive when they apologize. But until then, like, no, the Bible doesn't say when they apologize. The Bible says to forgive them or I'm not forgiving you. That's like an intense little, like, standard there. Like, oh, ouch. That means I, I can't wait for an apology. That means, like, what if I forgive them and they do it again? Like, it probably will happen. I'll just tell you. That's people for you. People will keep doing some stupid stuff to you. But knowing that your job is not to be their judge, your job is just to forgive. And uh, <laughs> anyways, so we have to be people that stop lowering our standards to justify our lifestyle. We can't lower our standards to justify what our habits are, what makes us feel good about us, or what we feel is right. Because our standard is supposed to be Jesus. Our standard is the Bible. Our standard is not how we feel about things. Well, I just think that, like, it doesn't matter what you think. Sorry. You know, I know. Who invited this person to preach? <laughs> but, like, it doesn't matter how you feel. What does the Bible say? It doesn't matter what you think. Well, I just think people should just, you know, get to make their own decisions. Yeah, they can. It doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> it doesn't mean. Yeah, there you go. Give God. 
And James, James takes this topic of sin to the next level, all right? I love James. If you ever read the book of James, he's always just like, you're an idiot, moving on. And you're like, oh, ouch, okay, that was good, though. Uh, so if you're not, you don't really read your Bible that much, start at James, you'll laugh and feel guilty all the time this season. Uh, but James 4.17, he's like bringing it to another level. Like, okay, if you think you passed that whole list, he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Ouch. If you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it, then for you, that's a sin. It might not be a sin in this list, but to God, it's a sin. If he said do this and you ain't doing it, you're in sin. Ouch. I read that and I was like, oh, my, God, my list just got really long. Um, and so now he just added in that little, like, sin list, laziness, ooh, procrastination, disobedience. Like Pastor Rose talking about an offering. God, you know it says in the Bible, give your 10%. It's your first thing to do. When you ain't doing that, you're like, I just didn't hear that part about this 10%. You know, I just give at, at the end, whatever's left over, everything goes to God. Like, y'all know there ain't a lot left over after you finish paying your bills. Is that just me? If you wait for, like, the leftovers, like, that leftovers go by real quick. Everything just disappears, and you're like, we got $4? <laughs> like, that's it? That's all we got? And no matter how much money you make, there's still not going to be leftover at the end. So you can't just keep saying, I just give God everything that's left. Like, that, that's, don't try to act holy about it. You're supposed to give him the first. And you're not doing that. You're disobeying. That's your problem. That's not mine. I'm just telling you the truth. And, uh, and so anyways, you can see this list is getting long, and it's, you know, it's kind of getting a little real, right? Y'all are all getting a little quiet on me. <laughs> okay, thanks, Alan. <laughs> so anyways, back to Samson. You see, uh, he ends up marrying Delilah, classic Samson move. He marries this girl, and, you know, she's, of course, working with the Philistines, and they got, like, a whole plot. Like, all right, they're like, all right, we're going to give you some money. You find out what makes the guy strong, and then we're just going to, like, kill him. It's going to be awesome. And so he marries her, and she's all like, oh, Samson. <laughs> it said, which I think this whole part is really funny to me. But he said, Delilah's like, what makes you so strong, and what would it take to tie you up securely? If a girl's asking you that, like, that's not really a great sign. You know what I mean? Like, you know her people have been trying to, like, capture you your whole life. And then she's like, tell me what it is that makes you strong, just, just for, you know, future reference. Like, it should be a warning, but Samson's all like, oh, whatever. You know, I'll play along. So, uh. Samson ends up being like, he's like making up all these things. He's like, oh, you need seven new bowstrings and tie me up with these. Then that night, she got Philistines hide in the closet. And after she like, she like lays his head in her lap and she's like singing him to sleep or whatever. Then it says at that moment, like she got the Philistines to come in here and she's like, tie them up with the bowstrings. You know, like she's giving them the whole little plot. Moral of the story. Anyways. So she, she has them all tied up, and then she's like, oh, Samson, wake up. The Philistines are here to get you, you know. And he, like, wakes up, and he, like, breaks free of the bowstrings and, like, you know, wins the moment. And so you're like, okay, that moment, you're probably not really trusting this girl anymore, right? Like, if you trusted her before, at this moment, you probably should be like, oh, I told her about the bowstrings, and two hours later, I'm tied up with the freaking bowstrings, you know. <laughs> and so he ends up, you know, it said she went, and I'm like, this girl is so funny. Because she went back to him. She's like, you were making fun of me. You didn't tell me the real thing. Like, I'd be like, no, girl, I ain't telling you the real thing. Like, you tried to get me killed just now. And so she's like, please tell me. So then he's now, like, playing a game. He's like, oh, well, uh, if you get brand new ropes that have never been used, that will tie me up. And then I'll, like, lose all my strength. I'll be as weak as anybody else. 
same exact thing happens. She's all like, oh, Samson, wake up. And, you know, he breaks free of the ropes. You get it? She comes back and is like, how dare you? You lied to me. This whole thing is really funny, like, when you think about it, like, wait, how, like, how dare she even say anything? You know, she'd be like, I don't know how they knew. They must have bugged the house or something. Like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so then she ends up doing it again. And he was like, he's just messing with her at this point. He really is, like, making fun of her. Because then he was like, oh, well, if you weave my hair into, like, your loom, then, like, I won't be able to, like, you know, get out of it or whatever. Same thing happens. She comes back. He ends up breaking free. She comes back and is crying again, acting like she's the victim in the situation. Sometimes girls can be like that, you know? <laughs> they act like the victim. They ain't the victim. <laughs> and so, anyways, we can think, uh, when we read that, we can think, like, man, Samson is such an idiot. <laughs> you know, like, what is wrong with you, dude? Like, and, and you might think, like, oh, well, at least, you know, he's just kind of in it because she's pretty and all. But, like, you're thinking he's never going to tell her the real thing because at this point he knows he can't trust her. He's just in it, you know. Or, you know, you know. <laughs> and so he's in it. But it's funny because you think, like, I would never do that. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't know the first time. And I would, like, never trust her again. But so many times we do the exact same thing. We keep compromising. And that's exactly what sin does. You keep going to a little bit further. And Samson, you can see, he's getting, like, a little closer and closer. First, it's, like, bowstrings and ropes. Now he's talking about his hair. He's, like, kind of hinting it. He's getting a little bit closer to the real thing. Like, she's just wearing me down now. And, uh, and that's what sin does. Sin, you, you thought it was just one little thing, but before you know it, you move a step further. Oh, I would never do that thing over there. Now you're a step closer. You're a step closer. And, uh, and in that moment, you're completely blind to the danger. Samson, you can see he's playing around. He doesn't even know. He doesn't know the end of this story. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, there's foreshadowing in this, you know? <laughs> like, you're not noticing, like, what's happening. You would think he would see the danger ahead, but he's just living his life. He's doing what makes him feel good, what makes him feel, you know, like a man or whatever it is that gives him pleasure. He keeps doing it over and over and over again. And um, uh, Brother John gave this example a long time ago, Brother John Collard. And I always remembered it. I was younger. But he was talking about the frog in boiling water. Y'all heard that example? Some of y'all? Y'all know, I guess in Louisiana we talk about cooking frogs. But uh, they say if you want to cook a frog, like, you don't boil the water and then try to toss the frog in the boiling water. The frog's just like, whoop, I'm out of here, you know. And they're pretty fast. But uh, they say if you want to boil a frog, you put it in, like, the nice room temperature water, you know, make him feel all comfy and cozy. He's like, ooh, this is great. And then you start turning that temperature up. And he's just thinking, like, oh, you know, you know, after you get a hot tub, like, at first it feels hot, then it starts feeling like, ooh, this is perfect. And so it's like turn that temperature up, and the frog's like feeling a little warmer, but he's like, all right, it's still good, you know. And before he knows it, they said by the time you boil it, it's like it was, it happened so slowly and so gradually that by the time the frog realized what's going on, he's already like boiled up, you know. And that's exactly, I know it sounds funny, but that's exactly how this works. That's exactly how sin and compromise works. And um, I thought it was interesting, I was thinking about it, and uh I realized Samson's life, it's the perfect example of this modern Christianity. It's the perfect example of this frog in a boiling pot situation. Samson's life is like, this is what Christians are doing these days. This is what the world looks like. It's this form of Christianity that's all moved by emotion, moved by I want, I think, I feel, what do I feel about this? It's this type of Christianity, and that's what Samson lived like. He knew what was right, but he was like, well, what's right's not as important. Because let me just, you know, let me test this out. You know, everybody has a different situation. And like, no, right is right, wrong is wrong. But modern Christianity, 
Uh, it's how close to the world can I get? That's the problem with the modern Christian is how close to the world can I get? How close can I get to that line without crossing it? How close can I get to sin without being officially sin? How much can I mess around without getting in trouble? And um, anyways, I was thinking about modern Christianity. I thought, you know, it's the same. We see it all the time. There's this like, oh, well, back in the day, church used to be a priority, right? You know, when we were younger, like it wasn't an option. You were going to church. You know, your parents were like, do you want to go to church today? And you were like, no, thank you. And they're like, okay, have fun. You know, but it wasn't an option. Church, 20 years ago when I was younger, church was a priority. There wasn't, you didn't ask your kids they wanted to go to church. You didn't ask your spouse. Everybody's going to church. You're getting up and going to church. You like it or not, you can cry on the back row, like enjoy yourself. But like you're going, you want to go to children, you're going to children's church. I don't care if you want to go to children's church, you're going to children's church. But you can see this modern Christianity, it's this new world where people just do what they want. Like, oh, you know, I don't really feel like it used to be a priority, but, you know, now, now, you know, my family's got to be first. And, you know, getting the kids ready. Y'all get the kids ready every day for school. Y'all know it. Y'all know it. Y'all ain't acting like some kind of new situation. Like, I don't know, I got to get them dressed. Like, y'all get them dressed for, like, 530 in the morning, too, to hop on that bus. Like, it's not, I mean, it's difficult. But y'all acting like 1030. Somebody, somebody said it not that long ago. Somebody was like, yeah, they were saying it's just hard to get there because, you know, it's just so early. I was like, 10.30? Anybody says that does not go to work or go to school to say 10.30 is early. I'm like, oh, Sunday I get to sleep in. This is nice, you know. But the truth is, all that is is just turning the temperature up a little bit. When we start saying, well, church used to be a priority, but, you know, we're not in that whole religion thing. You know, now we just, you know, we go, we, we can. You know, we have church at home here with the family. Like, no, no, you're just turning that. The temperature is getting turned up a little bit, you know. <laughs> when you used to have these strict rules about what kind of movies were played in your house, now, you know, anything goes, you know, it's got curse and all this kind of stuff. Well, I used to not allow that, but now, you know, I just make sure, I just make sure, we just don't say the words. As long as, you know, it's not a big deal to hear them, but if we, you just don't say them, though, all that is is turning the temperature up, saying well, we're going to allow a little bit more than we used to, but we're still not in sin, you know what I mean? Watching the movie's not a sin. Listening to them garbage music with the curse words and talking about sex and drugs and all this stuff, well, that's not a big deal because that's just like the beat. I've heard that more times in my whole life that I could ever, you don't even say it to me. I hate that phrase. <laughs> I hear it all the time. Well, you know, I've not listened to the words, listen to the beat. Well, those words, they're, they're listening to you. You're hearing those words about sex and drugs and all the curse words. I promise you, you keep listening to that. When you get angry, those words coming out. <laughs> That's just the way it is. You can act like, go ahead. You can act like it's the beat. You can act like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, just it's cool, man, whatever. It's not that cool. First of all, when you actually listen to some of this music, just side note, it's so lame, you know, like, it's so lame. That's just a side note for the young people. Like, come on, listen to the actual song. It's like repeats the same thing like a hundred times. It's not cool. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, all these things are turning the temperature up. When you have that mindset of I'm just going to decide what's best for me, you're turning the temperature up. I'm just going to decide what's right for me, turn the temperature up. Well, I don't want to stand up for what's right, turn the temperature up. I don't want to stand up against homosexual marriage because, you know, then people are getting mad at me. The temperature is slowly turning up. You're just slowly getting lower and lower and saying, well, I don't want to, you know, rock the boat. I don't want to really tick anybody off. But all that's happening is that temperature is getting higher and higher. You're accepting more and more, and it's becoming part of your lifestyle. Me and Michaela were talking about this the other day. You realize how much TV, they've got this political agenda going on like crazy. Like I had to stop watching one of my favorite shows because I was like, all right, they keep slowly kind of pushing some political agenda. Y'all making me mad. You know, sit down, sit down. And then, like, recently they did this whole, like, 
you know, don't call me a he or a she, I'm just a person. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because all they're trying to do is push, like, just get comfortable with it. Just like that frog, just get comfortable. You know, you don't have to agree with it. Just get comfortable that it's part of the lifestyle. It's part of the way we live. But that's not what God's asking us. He's not calling us to be this modern Christianity. He's calling us to be this radical Christianity. I know it's what it used to be, but God's like, all right, we got to raise that back up. It's time to rise that stuff back up. Or we start saying, yes, give God. Or we start saying, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't want to get as close to the line as possible. I don't want to see as little as I can do with Jesus. I don't want to see as little church as I can get by with. I want to do as much as I can. I want to go as far as I can go because this is what God's asking of us. we got to stop playing that defense. You know, I just got to try to, like, keep, you know, just kind of blend in, make everybody think I'm cool. Start being that offensive Christian that says, oh, this is a battle. This is a war. I'm getting out there. I'm fighting. I don't care who gets ticked off at me. I'm standing up for what's right because that's what I'm called to do. I'm not called to be like every other Christian. My standard is not every other Christian. My standard is Jesus Christ. I'm not seeing if I can look like everybody else. And what are the other, you know, what are those pastors on TV doing? What is everybody doing? What's cool? I don't care because I want to stand up for what's right. I want to stand up for the word of God. I want to stand up for Jesus. And um, <laughs> oh, this happens This happens when you don't drink your water. I'm all like, um, sorry. God is calling us to live. Oh, thank you, Miguel. God is calling us to live this radical Christianity. Y'all know what the word radical means? Radical means extreme. The definition says favoring extreme changes in your views, your habits, your conditions, institutions. It's change, an extreme change from the usual. That's what God is calling. He's saying, all right, y'all got too comfortable now. This whole Christianity thing has gotten way too comfortable and people are crossing lines every which way. It's time for us to turn back to God. It's time for us to get extreme again. It's time for us to start setting those standards the way they used to. It's time for us to say, no, 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 we go to church every single Sunday. I ain't asking you. You live in my house. We're going to church. Well, you know, they're 20 years old now. Who cares? Who, do they live in your house? They eating your food? They're at church, period. End of discussion. There wasn't an option. My parents, like, if you want to live like a fool, you better go find somewhere else to live. I know a lot of parents are scared to do that with their kids because they're like, oh, well, you know, they might leave and never come back. They'll come back. I promise you. They start getting hungry. <laughs> they're coming back. <laughs> but we have to start setting that standard. We don't listen to this kind of music in our house. We don't watch this kind of TV in our house. We don't speak this kind of language in our house. Period. We go to church together. We pray together. We read together. We listen to worship music together. It's going to feel a little awkward. But when you start raising that standard up, you're going to realize it's changing everything. It's going to start to change your house. It's going to, kids, even if your parents don't go to church, you start setting the standard in your house. You say, oh, they might act a fool. They might talk like this, but I don't. Just because my mom does it, my dad does it, doesn't give me an excuse. It doesn't make it right. I'm going to take a standard. I'm going to raise the standard in my house, and I'm going to show this is what a Christian means. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a little Christ a little Jesus. It's not doing what I feel like doing. It's not doing what makes me feel good. It's doing what's right. <clears throat> you know, Christians, we're supposed to be extreme. Like I said, we're little Jesuses. Jesus was extreme. If you read the Bible, he was extreme. He wasn't playing around. He wasn't trying to fit in. He was like, this is what the Lord says. And he was like ticking people off. 
left and right and thrown around tables and stuff like that. Jesus was extreme. And the truth is, he was giving us the perfect example because he was saying, no, 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 we're not here to fit in. We're not here to try to be like everybody else, you know, and blend in the crowd. We're here to fight. We're here. This is a battle. If you keep living life like we're just here to fit in, you're about to get tore up by the enemy. I promise you, it's probably already happening. That's why you're like, I, don't, I can't relate. It's probably already happening. We have to say, no, 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 I am here to fight. I'm a Christian. This is a battle. This is not a joke. This is not a game. I am here to fight. <laughs> Stop saying, how little can I get by with? And start saying, how much, how much can I give to God? How much time can I give to God? I don't want to see, well, how little, I guess I can do a Sunday morning for like an hour. And then like after an hour, like I'm out, whether they're done or not. No, how much can I give? I promise you, when you give God everything, when you give him your 100%, everything changes. I read this and I thought it was so good. It was somebody that said, you know, they basically they gave their whole life to the ministry. And they were like, I don't care how much money I make, whatever. And they said, all I thought was, they said, um, I forgot it was a dream or what. But they said, I realized I would rather play one small part in changing history. If I can play one small part in changing history, then giving up my whole life was worth it. And I was like, that's the way we're supposed to be. I know it sounds like, oh, that's extreme. I'm not all, hold on, I just did the Sunday morning thing. But we're supposed to be people that say, I'll just give my whole life. Even if my whole life means one little thing. Even if my whole life means making one little change in history, even if my whole life just plays one little part in history being changed, then I'm in. Like Pastor Bray talked about, I think last week, he was talking about the little, uh, the shoemaker guy. Who, was it a shoemaker? Sale, shoe salesman. He was like a shoe salesman guy and basically tells this guy, about, was, it, was he a kid at the time? I feel like he was a kid. I feel like he was talking to like a kid at the time, like selling the kid the shoes, and of course, he tells us one little, he does one, he plays one little part. He's just a little shoe salesman. We don't even have those anymore, I don't think. He's just a shoe salesman. It's not a very important position, but he was like, I'm going to do, I'm giving God everything. I'm going to tell every person that I've put shoes on their feet, I'm telling them about Jesus while I'm down here, you know, doing this stinky foot job. But he's down there, and he's like, I'm going to tell this, this little boy or teenager or whatever about Jesus. He tells this guy about Jesus, and of course, you know the end of the story, like Pastor Bray said, this guy ends up changing the entire world. This is Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham. This guy ends up being Billy Graham. We know who Billy Graham was. But that one guy, he's not somebody that you would think is so significant. He's not somebody who preached on stages throughout the world and, like, this is eloquent, eloquent speaker and, like, was so important. He was just one little shoe salesman who said, well, I'm just going to give God everything. If all I have is the people that come in the store, if all I have is the guy I see at the gas station, is the girl at the coffee shop, if that's all I have, I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. I might, have, I might not have a big platform, but I know what God did in my life. And I can, say, I can share that. I don't have to know the whole Bible left, right, upside down. But I can say what God did in my life because that's what changes people. <laughs> Moving forward. Um, well, yeah, I'll, get, I'll get a little serious. Hebrews 10, 26 through 29. The scripture is so good. But like I said, I am wrapping up, so I'm going to keep it quick. For if we continue, like I said, this gets real. If we continue to persist in deliberate sin... After we have known and received the truth, there is not another sacrifice for sin to be made for us. He's like getting real. He's like, if you keep acting a fool, 
he's like, I don't even know what other sacrifices we made. Jesus already died. You already accepted it. And now you're still being stupid. He was like, oh, you might be screwed. <laughs> That's kind of like where he's going with this. And he said, but this would qualify one. <laughs> he's saying persisting deliberate sin would qualify one for the certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the raging fire ready to burn up his enemies. Ooh. He's like, uh, by the way, Jesus ain't playing. <laughs> this, this is Paul, right, in Hebrews? Pretty sure it's Paul. <laughs> this would uh, qualify one for the certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the raging fire ready to burn up his enemies. He's saying, you keep acting a fool, that's where you're going. You can say you love God and everything, but if you keep continually persisting in sin, if you keep acting like God just going to show up every time, regardless of what I do, regardless of what happens, he's just going to show up, you are in trouble. <laughs> and he goes on to say, he said, anyone who disobeyed Moses' law died without mercy in the simple evidence of two or three witnesses. So he was saying back then, if, if two or three people said you were guilty, you know, you just died. That was it. Then he says, how much more severely do you suppose a person deserves to be judged who has contempt, contempt also means, oh yeah, I put it in there, hatred for God's son, who scorns or disrespects the blood of the new covenant that made him holy and mocks the spirit who gives him grace. What is he saying? He's saying if you continue persisting in deliberate sin, you keep doing what you know you're not supposed to do. You, God keeps telling you to do something and you keep not doing it. You keep plugging your ear. He said, this is what you're doing. You're showing contempt. You're showing hatred for Jesus. When you say, oh, well, his blood, you know, I know he made the sacrifice, but I'm going to keep living the way I want. He said, you're disrespecting the blood of the new covenant. You're disrespecting the blood of Jesus that made you holy in the first place. When you say, who cares? I'm just going to live the way I want to live. And who mocks the spirit who gives him grace. That, that's what Samson did every single time. Every, throughout this whole story, he was mocking the spirit of grace. He was saying, oh, well, you know, I can keep living like a fool and God's just going to keep showing up. I can keep doing stupid stuff and God's just going to keep showing up. And y'all know, I've lived that way before where you keep doing stupid stuff and you're like, oh, well, I didn't get burned yet. And I will warn you, he's saying, when you keep doing that over and over, you're mocking grace. You're saying, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter because God loves me. It doesn't matter what I do, how I act, what I say, because God's still there. And ending the story about Samson, Delilah ends up going back to him after the third time. And she said, how can you say you love me when you don't share your secrets with me? It said she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick of it. Any men relate with that? <laughs> I know moms can relate with that. Y'all know those kids will nag you till you're just sick of it. I did it to my mom all the time. It works. Um, well, you can see it works. She keeps nagging him over and over and over again. And so finally, he ends up telling her. What? He tells this girl the actual secret to his strength? He tells her the secret to his strength. He said, yeah, oh, it's my hair. You cut my hair off, I'm done. And when you're reading this, you're like, dude, are you kidding me? You thought because you kept crossing the line that it was just going to be okay. But you didn't realize this was like, you just, you crossed it. You jumped over that ledge. You are all on your own now. It said, and then, of course, she ends up bringing somebody. He falls asleep. She brings somebody in to shave his head. And she's, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, 
he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. How many of y'all ever felt that before? You've done some stupid stuff, you're like, oh, God's going to show up. That's all right, that's all right. And that's where Samson was. He was like, I'm going to do what I did before. I've done this. I've done this whole thing. I've crossed the line. I've done stupid crap, and I know this works. Like, God's going to show up. He's going to fix it. I got this. I got this. And it said, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. He didn't realize that's how it works. That's the most sobering thing ever to know, wait, you keep playing God? You keep playing with the whole sin thing? You better watch out because you might get cut off one day. God might be like, all right, you're on your own. And that's what happened to Samson. He tried to shake himself and God was gone. Y'all know that little still small voice, don't do that. You shouldn't be doing this right now. Uh Uh-uh. That little voice can both persist and persist. The scariest thing ever is when that voice is gone. And you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. You don't even feel guilty anymore. You're acting the way you shouldn't be acting. You're talking the way you shouldn't be talking. And that guilt is just gone. If you're in that place, you better be, you should have the fear of the Lord all up on you. Because that means God, the Holy Spirit left. He's like, all right, man. You want to keep acting stupid? I ain't showing up for you this time. And, of course, if you know how this ends, of course, he shakes himself. He lost all his strength. God didn't show up. You don't have that miracle. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It said the Lord left him. He, had, he mocked grace one too many times. He thought it was going to be okay to keep sinning. He did it one too many times. He crossed that line one too many times, and God was like, I'm out. This is what compromise leads to. This is what sin leads to. It leads to bondage. Samson, of course, they take him. He lost his strength. They gouge out his eyes. That's what sin does. It causes you to lose your vision. You become blind. You you can't see what's right and wrong anymore. You can't see anything. You don't know where you're going, what you're doing, who you are, because you're blind now. You cross that line one too many times. You just, you're like dead. You're like, I don't know what it's God calling me to do. You used to be so clear. You knew you were called to win souls and make disciples till you crossed that line one too many times. And all of a sudden, I don't know what God's calling me to do. I'm just going to go. Like, you, you lost your vision. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's tragic. Samson is the tragic cautionary tale of someone who had an amazing call in his life. He was not just like some regular Joe. God was like, I'm going to raise this one up, set this one apart to be like me. Set this one apart to be holy. Set this one apart. He had an amazing call. God wanted him to rescue the Israelites. God wanted him to save his whole group of people from the Philistines. But he ended up settling for compromise. He settled for sin. He settled for those little things that made him feel good, those little pleasures. And he didn't even see that he was missing out on everything God had. And if you read the end of the story, you realize it was about 100 years later before God rose up somebody else named David. It was about 100 years later, God was like, well, dang, freaking Samson ruined it. <laughs> now I've got to find somebody else. And, of course, that's when David gets rose up, and he's like, that's somebody after my own heart. I had that guy who thought he was awesome, who was prideful and boastful and thought he could just sin all he wanted, compromise all he wanted. But I want the person who's humble. I want the person that's just like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. You want me to get some rocks? You want me to throw these rocks at the giant? All right, cool. I'm going to throw the rocks at the giant. You know, fingers crossed. God was like, I'm done with that whole thing. The, the, the guy who thinks he's awesome. 
the guy who thinks he can keep sinning and God just going to overlook it. God just going to show up anyways. <laughs> when you keep pushing the limit, you're mocking that grace. Don't be like Samson. Don't be that person who has a great calling on your life, but you settle for compromise. The end of the story is in verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. This is at the moment. He's tied up. He's chained up. They're having this big party to celebrate the fact that they got him, finally. They're mocking him. His eyes are gouged out. This is a humiliating moment. And that's what sin does. It will humiliate you. It will make you look like a straight-up fool. And Sam's in this moment, he is humiliated. He's chained up. He's got his hands. And now he finally decides. This is the first time you see in all the story, the four little short chapters about Samson's life. Those four chapters that could have been books and books about how he changed the world, about how he rescued his people. But instead it was four little chapters and it ends with this. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire life. When I was reading this to Donovan last night, he said, man, that sucks because it's kind of like God was saying he's worth more dead than alive. And I was like, ouch, that is kind of what's happening. God was like, all right. He finally calls out to God. And, of course, he does end up making a big a big change compared to his life. But you see, in the end, that's all he had. All he had that glorified God was that one little last moment. And I urge you today, this is, this is a time to examine yourself. You don't, don't be like Sam, Samson. Don't be the guy who waits till the end of his life to say, okay, well, now I guess I'll do something for God. I got a little bit of time. Don't be the guy who keeps living the way you want to live because I promise you at some point, it's going to run out at some point when God keeps letting you loose, letting you do what you want to do. You keep getting little spankings left and right. At some point, God's going to be like, all right, you're on your own. And it, that should put the fear of the Lord in you that, wait, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that keeps sinning, that keeps compromising, that keeps living the way I want to live, doing what I want, doing what I feel, thinking the way I want. I have one more scripture I wanted to read. Romans 12, 2, we all know this scripture, I think. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's time for us as a church to quit playing with God. Quit playing church. Quit playing with sin. Quit, quit playing with compromise, because at some point, your time is running out every single day. I'm not trying to be like all depressing, like, oh, we're all dying. But the truth is, you only have so much time in this life. You don't have time to play church. You don't have time to play with God. This is not a game. It's time for us to quit that whole modern Christianity. I do what I want, when I want. I show up to church, don't show up to church. 
I'll curse, I'll drink, I'll get drunk, because, you know, God got the grace of God on my life. You're playing with God. It's time for us to do what it says in that scripture. It's time for us to set ourselves apart. The way you set yourself apart is changing the way you think. Stop thinking about you. That's what Samson was doing. It was, oh, what do I want? Well, that girl looks good. I'll take her. Well, I want to hang out by the grapes. I want to do this. I want to do that. Stop worrying about what you think because that's not what it's about. What does the word of God say? What is God telling you? You know, my, uh, Pastor Bray said this before, and I thought it was so good. People are looking for what's real. People have seen enough of this whole modern Christianity. They've seen enough of Christians cursing and drinking and acting stupid. They've seen it. They're not impressed. They don't want the Christians who are struggling just as much as they are. They don't want to be part of that whole group. People are looking for what's real. It's time for us to start being real. Stop playing and start being real with God. Be real with yourself. Get rid of that sin. Get rid of the compromise. What did God ask of you? What did God tell you to give up? Give it up. What did God tell you to stop doing? Stop doing it. Did God tell you to reach out to that person? Reach out to them. Did God tell you to preach at your work? Preach at your work. What did God call you to do? It's time for us to start living like that and to let go of the compromise. And so right now, y'all can all stand up. And if you're here today, regardless Regardless of whether it's your first Sunday here and you're lost and you're looking for a relationship with God or whether you've been a leader and you've been here for years, if you know today is the day for you to let go of that compromise, to let go of that sin, to let go of those things that keep trapping you up, those things that keep stopping you from doing what God called you to do, if you're in that place and you say, I'm ready to surrender it all, I'm ready to be like David and be a man or a woman after God's own heart, I'm ready to be humble and say, God, use me. Use me. I don't want the glory. I don't want the praise. I don't want to boast about all the awesome things I did. I want to humble myself, and I want you just to use me. If you're in that place, I want you to come down to the altar, and we're going to pray together. Today is the day to get real. Today is the day to quit playing with God. Pastor Bray talked about it a few weeks ago, but he was talking about the vine, and he was saying, you know, at some point, if that vine is not producing the right fruit, if it keeps producing bad fruit, it keeps going through a cycle, it keeps producing bad things or not producing anything, it's not doing anything, at some point, God's going to cut that off and say, all right, we're done with that thing. It's not even doing anything. We don't want to be those Christians. I, that put the fear of the Lord in me. I don't want to be that person who gets cut off because I keep playing, because I want to do my thing, because I want to go home and watch Netflix when I get off work instead of ministering to people. I don't want to be that Christian. I don't want to be cut off because I was fruitless my entire life. I don't want to be cut off because I couldn't give up that one thing. I don't want to be cut off because I couldn't stop doing that. I couldn't keep messing around with this person. I couldn't keep messing around with that girl or that guy. I couldn't keep, I couldn't stop drinking and cursing. I couldn't stop watching all that garbage. I don't want to be that person that gives it all up because of one little thing, because of just some compromise. I don't want to be the tragic story of Samson who barely got to do anything for God. I want to be the person that says, oh, I'm giving it all. 
I want to be the David in the story. I want to be the David that gives everything. I want to be the David that says, God, use me. And today's that day. I want you to, at the altar, lift your hands. God, today I thank you for every single person here, Father. I thank you, God, that today we're making the decision together, Father, to let go of all compromise, to let go of all sins, to let go of all weights that we have in our lives. God, everything that's keeping us from you, God, today we turn from those things. We lay those things down here at the altar, God. Today, Father, we're becoming new people. We're becoming radical Christians. We're becoming extreme, extreme with our standards, extreme with the words that we use, extreme with our actions. Harvest is going to become the church once again that changes the city, once again that changes the area, that changes the state, that makes an impact on this nation. It's all going to be because of these people that are humbling themselves right now and saying, God, use me. I'm not perfect. I know I'm going to make mistakes, but I refuse to keep going and living in sin. I refuse to keep compromising. God, use these people. Father, right now we repent, Father, for every mistake. We repent for everything we let slide. We repent for all those standards that we lowered, those things that we allowed that we shouldn't have. God, right now we repent. We repent for our household, God, what we've allowed in our house, what we've allowed in our children, what we've allowed out of our mouths, God, we repent right now. And God, we take up and we were ready, Father, to recover that extreme, raw, radical Christianity, that Christianity that is based off of the word of God, that Christianity that sets Jesus as the standard. Jesus, you are our standard. We put you first. Let today be the day that you get real with God. Don't worry about what people around you are doing. Let this be a moment where you get real with God. If you have things you need to let go, let them go. If you have things you need to do, do them. If there's changes you need to make, make the change. Don't let this be something that you just, you have a moment with God and go home and act the same way. Make the change now. Make the decision now. Go home and get rid of that garbage. Go home and turn off that TV. Today is a new beginning. God wants to change your life, but just like Samson, you make the decision of whether you're going to let him. You make the decision whether you're going to do what you want or whether you're going to do what he wants. God, purify our hearts right now. God, allow all sin, all compromise, let it leave our lives right now, Father. I thank you that we are becoming men and women after your own heart. That we are becoming people that are sold out for you. That we are giving everything to you. God, we don't want our way. We want your way. We don't want our little compromise. We want your thing, Father. We want to be holy. We want to be pure in your sight, God.